Welcome to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5, where you live with passion, make a difference, and come alive. This show is about you, your life, your impact, and your legacy. Now your hosts, John and Rena. Welcome to the Impact Hour. This is John. Today we have a really fun topic. Today we're going to be talking about the art of reframing. So reframing essentially is about changing the stories that we make up about things for better stories. The truth is that we get facts. We get facts, we get events, things come into our, into our world through our eyes, our ears, our senses, and those are facts. But in between the facts, there's a lot of gaps. There's a lot left unexplained. And in order for us to make sense of our world, we start to fill in the gaps with our stories. And we make up stories about, you know, why someone did this thing or why someone did that thing. And you can hear stories come from people all over the place. Once you know about this, it's hard to unsee. And so as we navigate through the world, people are doing things, they're acting, they're saying things. And in between the spaces in there, we're filling in the gaps about usually why did they do that? And then we sometimes attribute that to their character. Oh, this person's a jerk or that person's a nice person. And we draw these conclusions based on these stories we've made up. And sometimes the stories that we make up actually are hurtful. And so we tell stories about, you know, so-and-so did such-and-such a thing. And we make up a story about, oh, they don't care about us or whatever. Sometimes we make up all kinds of stories in there. And so reframing is the art of choosing a better story that still fits the facts. It's not about making stuff up about lying, but it's about replacing the stuff we've already made up with something else that also fits the facts that probably is also made up, but is so much better. <clears throat> so there's so many times we can have multiple meanings that fit the same facts. So I don't know if you're aware of, of this. Uh, in early history, we had different views of the solar system. And quite a while ago, we used to think that the Earth was the center of the solar system. And if you looked up at the sky, it kind of seemed to appear that way. It looked like the sun revolved around the Earth, and we had the moon revolving around the Earth, and it was pretty hard to tell what was going on. And so we had these models of the solar system with the Earth at the, at the middle, at the center. And then the moon was next, and then Mercury revolved around the Earth, and then Venus, and then the sun and then Mars, and then Jupiter, and then Saturn. There's a guy named Ptolemy. And he had this model of the solar system. And it explained how all these, these planets and celestial bodies revolved around the Earth. Now here's the tricky thing. He could come up with this mathematical model of all the way these things move, all these planets move through the sky, and the mathematical model was accurate. You could use the mathematical model and figure out and predict where planets would be, and it worked. So you couldn't just say, well, the math works. It must be true. I, mean, I suppose you could claim that, but I don't know if that would necessarily be a good argument, because just because the math works doesn't actually mean that our model of what's going on is actually true. So just because our story of why so-and-so said something seems to fit the facts, doesn't necessarily make it true. Just like our old model of the solar system, the math seemed to work. And for those of you out there, probably most of you know that today we don't believe that the, the Earth is at the center of the solar system. We believe the sun is. And now we have a new model and we have math, probably looks not too different from Ptolemy's math, but just a different model where the, the math works now as well, and we refined it and have even a little bit better predictions of how the planets move. So multiple things can explain the same facts at the same time, and if both can, and we're going to just pick a story, why shouldn't we pick one that serves us so much better? Let's just pick a better story. And part of what's true is that multiple things can be true at the same time. So I can be smart and dumb at the same time. 
it's true. <laughs> and I can be wise in one area and foolish in another. And someone could say that I'm wise. That's their story about me. I like that one. Or someone could say that I'm foolish. And probably both are true anyways. And so instead of creating stories that hurt and harm us, let's replace those with stories that lift us up and encourage us. And that is what reframing is all about. So today, it's all about reframing. If you would like to call into the show and share a difficult situation that you are going through or that you have had in the past and would like help reframing it, I'd love to hear from you on the show today. You can call 866-576-1055. And again, that's 866-576-1055. And I will do my best to help you reframe uh, that experience that you've had and hopefully help you create a whole better story uh, that you've, than you've made up in the past, a better story that will encourage and support you. <clears throat> An example of a better story, for example, here is uh, in the past I've been let go from my work. And I used to tell my story that that meant that there was something wrong with me. I didn't work hard enough. I wasn't friendly enough. I didn't say yes enough to people. All kinds of stories around why I was laid off. And it was really all about how I was inadequate. I didn't do the right things and there was something wrong with me. And it actually was pretty depressing. I started to wonder, you know, could I even hold a job? You know, could I even get another job if I was really not a great employee to have that they wouldn't want to keep me? And it was pretty harmful to me psychologically. I was starting to get pretty depressed around this. So I've had a chance to reframe my stories around this. And uh, I would imagine that uh, if you were the boss, if I was the boss trying to figure out who I had to let go from my team, it would not be an easy decision whatsoever at all. And so I could imagine someone looking at the people on his team, not wanting to let any of them go, but, but being told that they have to, and looking at you know one employee, you know maybe Sally is going through a rough time with their family, and he's looking at Bob and his wife's you know, going to the hospital for cancer, and going, man, I can't let those, those folks go. That would just be devastating. And they would look at me and go, well, John's pretty good. He can do pretty good work. And uh, if I let him go, he'll probably find a new job really quick. And he'll land just great on the other side. So I feel more comfortable letting John go than I do with the other folks. So that's the new story I've made up. I like that one a whole lot better. <laughs> and uh, is it made up? Yeah, sure, it's completely made up, but so is the other one. The other story I told myself was also completely made up. So if I'm gonna make up a story, let's make up a good story. So that's an example in my life of reframing, and today we're just going to dive into several methods of reframing. Um, reframing is, is about different kinds of stories. We're just gonna dive into each of those, and we'll talk about you know, what it is that we can do to change our stories about ourselves, about other people, about how the world works in a lot of different areas. And so that is what today is all about. So the first one I'm going to dive into here is this idea of we have to. You talk to people and they'll say, yeah, I've got to go to work or yeah, I've got to go do this. I have to go to work, I have to get up in the morning, I have to do the chores, have to, all this, all this stuff, have to, have to. And have to is a story that we've made up. There's different phrasing we can use instead of have to, and we could use a phrase like choose to. And I think choose to is certainly more true than have to, because in reality there really isn't a whole lot we actually have to do. Maybe it's the best choice in the moment, but we don't have to do it. And if you talk to people who are in Nazi concentration camps in Germany, they would tell you for sure that there were choices that they can make even in there. So we're going to have to go to a break right now. We will be right back. You're listening to the Impact Hour.
What if the ladder you're climbing is leaning against the wrong wall? Is that bucket list getting bigger and bigger? Where are your passions hiding? You are here to create an authentically empowered life. There's nothing more fulfilling than living your life's purpose every day. Find your calling and live a legacy that lasts for generations. Start your journey today by scheduling your discovery session with John and Rena, hosts of the Impact Hour, every Wednesday on Money 105.5. Go to theimpacthour.com to schedule your complimentary session today. If you want a life rich in meaning, if you want to make a difference, join John and Rena for the Impact Hour every Wednesday afternoon at 2 on Money 105.5. Learn how to increase your life's impact. Unlock your potential and live with passion. It's all new. The Impact Hour with your hosts, John and Rena. Share your stories and become part of the journey. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Money 105.5. Find John and Rena on Facebook at The Impact Hour. Now back to the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. Welcome back. <laughs> I think it's actually kind of funny. I said I had to go to a break. <laughs> I actually could not. I could have chosen to not go to a break, but uh, that was a good time to go. But uh, even I can get caught up in the have to language. So we're talking about have to versus choose to. And I have some stories here. These are made up stories, of course. And I just want you to listen to the stories and just think about how you feel as you hear the stories. So Bob has to wake up to his horribly jarring alarm clock. He has to choke down his peanut butter and jelly toast for breakfast to get to work in time. Then he has to fight traffic. Once at work, he has to put up with his coworkers. He has to go out to eat for lunch, even though he can't really afford it. Then he has to fight traffic on the way home and do the whole thing again tomorrow. Blah. That just sounds so depressing and icky, and it's not true. But we use language like that often. We feel like we have to. And the truth is that we are not controlled by things out there. We're not controlled by our boss or our work or our daily schedule. We get to choose. Now, sometimes in a specific moment, what we are choosing is actually the best choice. And so it may feel like we have to. But if we take a step back <clears throat> and look at all the choices we've made that leads up to our current situation, we'll realize that we have made choices that have contributed to our current situation. In the story, Bob has chosen his place of work. He picked that. He's picked his alarm clock. He's picked how he interacts with his coworkers. He picks when he gets up, so he feels like he has to use peanut butter and jelly toast for breakfast and eat that because it's fast. He's chosen all of that for himself. And since he's chosen that for himself, he could make different choices. And that's really the truth. So let's look at this a little bit more. And Bob chooses to wake up to his jarring alarm clock. He chooses to leave little time for breakfast, which is peanut butter and jelly toast. He chooses to fight traffic on the way to work. Once Bob, once at work, Bob chooses to put up with his coworkers. He chooses to go out to lunch, even though he can't afford it. And then he chooses to fight traffic on the way home and to do the whole thing again tomorrow. These are all his choices. He's choosing this stuff and maybe at the point when he wakes up in the morning, those are the best choices for the day, but he could choose to make his days different. He could choose all kinds of things to change his whole experience in his day, and he actually is in control of his life. Now, sometimes we'll have circumstances in our life, and we don't choose those exactly. Oftentimes, we contribute to them, but I imagine there are sometimes there are circumstances that do happen where we would pretty much feel like we didn't really choose that for ourselves. For example, Rena is uh, visually impaired at birth. I don't think she chose that for herself. So in life, there are some of those, but those are actually far fewer than we really consider in, in our walk through life. And oftentimes, we are choosing things in our life and we have either chosen it earlier on in our life 
and where where we're at in life is actually a result of choices we've made earlier or we've made it more likely or more hospitable for those events to have taken place. The big deal here is if we are in control of our lives, then we get to choose how our lives go. We're not at the mercy of what other people choose. We're not at the mercy of, of our environment and what other people are choosing for us. We get to choose for ourselves. And that's a good thing. In a sense, if you're really looking for somebody to blame, which I think is kind of an icky thing, I think blaming really doesn't solve anything, and you can blame somebody all day long and it still doesn't solve the problem. But if you feel like you need somebody to blame, it might be worth blaming yourself at least a little for the situation you're in, because that means that you can make different choices. For me personally, I wouldn't blame anybody. Blaming doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> Uh, but the, the idea, the point here is you get to choose. And so if you get to choose, you get to stop being a victim of your circumstances and you get to look forward and go, you know, I think I want something here to be a little different. And you get to choose. <clears throat> now there's one more step between have to and choose to. Beyond that, there's one more thing that we like to share with people, which is get to. Instead of saying, I have to, getting to a place of, I get to, really changes your whole perspective on your scenario, on your situation. So let's look at how it would look for Bob in his example here. Bob gets to wake up to his alarm clock. He gets to sleep a few extra minutes by picking a fast breakfast. Bob gets to fight traffic on the way to work, thankful that he has a job. Bob gets to put up with his coworkers as it makes his day more interesting. He gets to go out to lunch, choosing to sacrifice money for other things. Then he gets to fight traffic on the way home to be home with his family. Wow, that's pretty different. So if you think about your day and you feel like, oh, I've got to, I have to do this, I have to do that. How can you get to a place where you feel like you get to? Talk to students, talk to my kids, ask them, do they have to go to school? They're like, oh yeah, I've got to go to school, I have to. We talk to them about, well, what's it like for kids who don't go to school? And they think, oh, well, that's not very good. They don't learn how to read. They don't learn how to write. They probably can't get very good jobs. Ooh, that's not great. So my kids get to go to school. Not that they feel that every day. But in general, they see that there's a benefit and a value of going to school. And it's a get-to. It's a privilege to go to school, to learn and to be educated, even though your parents say you have to go. <laughs> so one more thing I want to talk about in this segment here is there's a, a thing that we assign to have talked about the stories that we make up in the gaps of the facts that have happened in our lives. And we make up stories, and in the stories, a lot of times we make up a meaning. Now, the meaning sometimes we make up isn't even something we've consciously done. So events happen, and it comes in, and it seems to arrive with the meaning already built in. So it passes through our subconscious, and when we're consciously aware of the events taking place, the meaning seems to already be there. <clears throat> it doesn't look like we made up a meaning, but we have. We've assigned a meaning to it, and it's probably been assigned either so fast we didn't recognize it, or maybe a little bit in our subconscious based on past experiences. So for instance, if your boss walks up to your, you in your cube and says, hey, I need to talk to you, what are you feeling? What does that mean? Most folks suddenly go into a state of fear. Uh-oh, something bad is going to happen. I can relate. <laughs> um, so that there's a meaning there and something bad is going to happen. The fear that, that creeps in immediately is just our interpretation of the facts. It's the meaning that we've assigned to the event. And just like with the other stories that we invent, the meaning that we've created from the events is almost always something we've made up. People don't say, hey, I need to talk to you because I'm going to fire you. The boss walks up and says, hey, I need to talk to you, and then you get to go find out what that is later on. 
And so usually people will do things, they'll say things, or will do things, and will say things, and we have a meaning attached to it. And the cool thing is, is we get to reassign meaning as well. Now, I just want to be clear that I'm not telling you that you shouldn't assign a meaning to things. The meaning happens automatically and probably aren't too much in control over that, that taking place. We pretty much want to make sure we understand the world and we assign it a meaning almost immediately. The tool I'm describing you is to go back afterwards and reassign a new meaning. Over time, after I reassigned something that has meaned one thing, that you've assigned a meaning one way, and we reassign it to something else over and over and over again, over time, eventually, the old meaning will eventually drop off. But it's certainly not something that will happen in an instant. That's just not the way it seems to work. <clears throat> So the idea here is an event takes place, there's some stimulus, it goes through a filter. So sometimes we're not even aware of things happening and that's because it's being filtered out. Sometimes we perceive certain events more clearly than others. We seem to focus on certain things happening over others, it goes through our filter and then a meaning is assigned and then after the meaning is assigned then it, then it comes into our perception afterwards. And so that is just a natural flow of, of how we process information in the world. And if we're aware that we are assigning meaning to things, we get to reframe it. And we get to assign better meanings to things that serve us more. A lot of times the meanings that we assign to things have come from our childhood. Our parents have told us certain things over and over again. And we take in these messages and so we assign meanings. Sometimes the way our parents look at the world is something that we take on. And so if you're going down traffic and someone's behaving a certain way, maybe they're driving really slow. What does that mean? Does it have to mean that? Is that really part of the facts or did we make up the meaning? If someone cuts us off, are they inconsiderate? Or did they just notice that that was their exit and they're not familiar with the surroundings? What are we assigning for meanings? So if we want to take the driving as an example, if in a typical drive somewhere you show up pretty irate, maybe you're assigning meanings to what other drivers are doing and maybe that doesn't serve you. Maybe you arrive, your arriving irate is not very helpful. If you wanted to show up for a job interview and you show up upset by how the other drivers were driving, how is that going to affect your job interview? So that's just a very simple example, and we can get into some very, very deep examples of what things mean. I know some folks have been abused, and they blame themselves. They've assigned a meaning that they did something wrong, and I think that's not a great meaning. And there can be some very deep hurt around that. So this tool is to help us realize and sift through what is actually fact and what is the meanings that we created around that and then we get to assign a new meaning that makes it so much easier to work through and then we can deal with the facts rather than having to struggle through being hurt by the meaning. So we are going to go to a break and we will be right back. Hey guys, Quinn, host of The Good Life Show on 105.5. I've got a new show called 60 Minute Success on Sunday nights at 10 p.m. The whole idea is to improve your book of business. We want to help you help yourself. Tune in Sunday nights, 10 p.m. for 60 Minute Success or join us online at 60minsuccess.com. We'll see you next week. I'm Trina Webster. And I'm Dan Webster, founders of Z Quiet. Let me be honest, I snored. Yeah, he did. 
crazy loud. I was forced to sleep on the couch most nights. Dan tried everything, including surgery to solve his snoring problem. Nothing worked. So he turned to experts and created a solution that's a total game changer, a mouthpiece called Z-Quiet. Not just any mouthpiece, one that gently opens the airway where the snoring happens. In fact, it's based on the same technology as treatments costing thousands of dollars. It allows natural jaw movement so you can talk, breathe normally, and best of all, sleep comfortably without making a sound. And what's really cool is that it couldn't be easier. Just pop it in before you go to sleep to kick snoring out of bed. So you can sleep quiet with Z-Quiet. Z-Quiet fits both men and women. Try it risk-free for 30 days for just $9.95. Go to GetZQuiet.com or text SNORE to 91011. Go to GetZQuiet.com or text SNORE to 91011. Are you ready for your rush of success? I'm Jim T. Chong, the walk star. And I'm Cami Ferry, the theater queen, the host of Rush Hour for Success on Money 105.5 on Thursdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. It's about getting entertained and getting solutions for your success in life. Life and business. Visit us on Facebook at Money 105.5 FM Rush Hour for Success or download the Money 105.5 app on your phone for the live stream. That's Thursdays and Fridays, 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Get entertained, get educated, and get your rush on Rush, rush Hour for success. success. This is David Davenport of the Hoover Institution for townhall.com. America used to be a land of rugged individualism. People came to this country so that the key decisions about their lives would no longer be made by kings and queens or the church or their social class, but rather for themselves. Individual freedom was promised by the Declaration of Independence and protected by the Constitution. But today, individualism in America is in trouble. Not only has government taken over more and more of our money and decision-making, but young people are being coddled, first by helicopter parents, then in safe spaces in their college campuses. College used to be a time when kids went off to establish their own values and beliefs. Now we protect them from microaggressions and trigger words. We cleanse the campus of so-called controversial speakers and any real diversity of ideas. Is it any surprise that young people are more open to socialism, for example, when we coddle them from birth through college? This does not bode well for America and its future. I'm David Davenport. What if the ladder you're climbing is leaning against the wrong wall? Is that bucket list getting bigger and bigger? Where are your passions hiding? You are here to create an authentically empowered life. There's nothing more fulfilling than living your life's purpose every day. Find your calling and live a legacy that lasts for generations. Start your journey today by scheduling your discovery session with John and Rena, hosts of the Impact Hour, every Wednesday on Money 105.5. Go to theimpacthour.com to schedule your complimentary session today. If you want a life rich in meaning, if you want to make a difference, join John and Rena for the Impact Hour every Wednesday afternoon at 2 on Money 105.5. Learn how to increase your life's impact. Unlock your potential and live with passion. It's all new. The Impact Hour with your hosts, John and Rena. Share your stories and become part of the journey. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Money 105.5. Find John and Rena on Facebook at The Impact Hour. Now back to the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. Welcome back to the Impact Hour. We're talking about reframing. So reframing is an art, and we've been talking about what it is to reframe. And I want to just talk a little bit about where is this useful. And this can be used all over the place in your life. In particular, it's very useful in relationships. So when you interact with somebody and they say or do something, what do they mean by that? Do we often interpret uh, a meaning? Do we assign a meaning to what they did? Are we in the habit of assigning the most negative meaning to what the person did? And how does that affect your relationships with the person? How does that affect work relationships? Does that make work harder? Is it harder to trust people because we're assuming that what they're doing has a negative meaning behind it? So if the boss says or does something, are we assuming that they're out to get us or they just don't care or they're just inconsiderate? Or are there other things that maybe they're considering? This can be true in family relationships. So in your family relationships, when we do and we say things, they don't always explain why they did those things. And there could be lots of reasons for those. And... What are, we, what are we thinking that they're doing? What do we assign to them? So often I see couples 
who are in the process of separating. And what I see is they are reacting not necessarily to what the person did or said, but what they thought the person meant by that. And so they're responding to this meaning that's been assigned rather than what was actually there. Now you can go and check in always with the person and find out what it was they meant. That's always a good thing. Sometimes the person doesn't even know themselves exactly why they did something because they're in their own process and their own growth and their own learning, learning how to navigate the world and to learn what's true in their life and what they value. And sometimes they don't know where something's come from. And so you're still left to guess why. And if we can assign a different meaning to why they did that, that'll make the relationships go a lot more smoother. A lot of folks would say, oh, that's giving them the benefit of the doubt. And that is pretty much what I'm talking about here. But getting them the benefit of the doubt sometimes doesn't uncover the fact that we've actually given a meaning to what they've done. It kind of di dives in a little bit deeper because uh, sometimes we don't think there's any doubt at all. We think our meaning is true. And this reassigning meanings, reframing, highlights the fact that maybe we've framed them in a more negative light than is, is useful and helpful. One of the big points here is that we just about never fully know someone's intentions and motivations by observing their actions alone. If someone does something and you think, oh, that means they intended this or they were motivated by that. In my experience, that's almost always untrue. Either what they were motivated by was completely different than what I thought, or what, what they were considering was far more nuanced than I thought. So we have a guest on the show. So I was wondering if you're there, Dave. I am. Awesome. How are you? Doing really good. So today we're talking good. about reframing. And I've shared a little bit yeah. about the, the this means that topic we've done in some of our events. And I know you've been through a few of them. And I thought it would just be really helpful for you to share kind of your experience with those. I know you've come to me several times and said, hey, I used this, this tool in this case, and I used it over here. And you found it so helpful. I thought maybe it'd just be great for you to share some of your experience. Sure. Um, it basically helps me to, instead of jumping to conclusions, I mean, I know that sounds kind of short-circuited, but it keeps me from jumping right into something that whatever event I'm looking at or trying to analyze keeps me from having that uh, conclusion that says, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. So <laughs> it helps you to kind of take a step back and reevaluate, you know, is your initial conclusion correct? Exactly. You know, and based upon my application of meaning and my experiences, too. Yeah. So why don't you share some more details uh, about some of the, the cases where you've you found this helpful? Well, a couple different areas that are, I think, um, helpful, so to speak. Um, always in personnel, when you're dealing with people, that seems to be a number one target area, if you will. Yeah. And that target area, as far as, you know, what do you want out of the relationship, so to speak, or what do you want out of the goals that you're setting? Or what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. that, that helps that clarification process. So in other words, if you sit down with an employee or even your supervisor, you know, and they come up and they say, hey, I want you to do this, you know. Sometimes the way people say things, they don't necessarily mean it the way you took it. Right. And sometimes the way you say things, you didn't want that person to take it the way they took it. <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> that was not your intent. So what happens is you get pretty ineffective communication at the very minimum at times when you when you quickly associate a meaning and what has helped me with is is in most of my relationships is it has helped me to back out and say okay wait a second what are the possibilities here 
And in the fire business, you know, that I've been in for 30 some odd years, we use this thing called F pod P, which is facts, probabilities, you know, your uh, own situation, come up with a decision and then a plan to deal with it. Well, what you've done is basically said, okay, you know, what are the facts? Well, sometimes what we do is we say, these are the facts and this is my emotional reaction to them. Yeah. Like they go hand in hand. And what you have, have said and, and, and reiterated, and I try to put into practice more and more, is that it's not just these are the facts and this is my reaction to them, but these are my facts. What are the probabilities of a certain outcome? And so instead of jumping to conclusions, so to speak, what I end up doing is I end up jumping more to, okay, what exactly does that mean? Okay, or what did they mean by that? Which allows me to ask additional questions, additional clarification, um, those types of things, so that now I can be clearer and more succinct, uh, sometimes more direct in uh -huh. my uh, statements. And, and, and mainly, though, to what happens to me, I'm able to shed things a lot quicker and a lot easier if I don't apply a, a direct meaning as soon as the event occurs. Right. You know, and, and that, that's a huge freeing impact right there because it, all of a sudden it's like, you know, well, did you hear what he said? Did you hear, John, what he just said? And you're looking at me like, well, yeah, so. Well, that, he <laughs> meant, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, and you're going like, what? <laughs> right. No, I, I took it as A, B, C. And I, no, no, he meant X, Y, Z, you know, and I think that's where it's kind of benefited me the most, you know, and in my relationship with my wife, my kids, you know, you come up and you say, you know, Dad, this is what happened to me today. And I say, well, how did you feel about it? And they say, oh, you know, it really bothered me. Well, why, do, why would that bother you? I, I don't think it would bother me, and here's the reasons why. And they say, oh, well, I hadn't thought about it that way. Hmm. You know, I just took it as they were being obnoxious or they were being inconsiderate or they were being, you know, over-the-top excited or whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, so to me, reframing, at least the way I've taken what you've taught me, is reframing really is the purpose of or it's a purposeful act trying to take away an event's impact, both overly negative and overly positive, and really analyzing it, digesting it um, for really what its true worth is. Yeah, I like that. And, uh, and I, I think what happens is, is because, you know, you, you, it's just like anything else we do in life, right? You, you know, you don't go out and start bench pressing 500 pounds right off the get-go. You start off with, you know, 125 or whatever and move on the way up until you're, you reach your, you know, physical maximum capability and you just increase strength as you go. Well, what, you're, what you talk about, the reframing portion of that, you know, when an event happens, it goes through your filter, you attach a meaning to it rather quickly. By the way, this happens very, very fast in the mind. Oh, yeah. It gets reinforced in the mind also. Yeah, it does. You know? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's and one so of the things we've not talked about, but we'll, we'll get to later on, is uh, when we tell our stories about why something's happened, how that can reinforce uh, a pattern in our mind. But that's exactly. that's awesome. So you've been able to use this uh, in your family life with your kids, you said with your wife. Is there anything specific yes. there you'd like to share about? Uh, I think I think mainly, you know, it allows us, allows me at least, to have a, um, to gain perspective, uh -huh. you know? So if, if, if my 12-year-old, I mean, I have, we have six kids that live at home, and they range in age. We have three 19-year-olds, for all practical purposes. So we have three 19-year-olds, a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 12-year-old. Wow, you can have a TV and show. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can have a basketball team. <laughs> but what ends up happening is, is I end up getting this, um, you know, the 19-year-olds are, you know, basically adults. You right. Know? Yeah. They're the ones that are, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of an adult, you know, and you can talk to them differently. And right. that makes a big difference. Yes. The 12-year-old, though, is experiencing things on a, on a new level all yeah. the time. You right. Know? 
one of the one of the ways we we talked we talked we literally just talked about this yesterday, and it was it was about her injuring her ankle, the twelve year old. Well, the two nineteen year old twins, the girls, they they were athletic in high school, and they sprained ankles and broke bones on occasion, and you know had other you know injuries and stuff like that. And you know you forget the first time that somebody's been injured. Right. Right. Yeah. So what I've had to do is I've had I had to go back and remember that this is the first time my little one has been, you know, has twisted an ankle. Right. So, so she's... I can't I can't just go. Yeah, she needs she needs to work through that process right. and the ref, you know she needs to frame it up. You know. Right. Yep. And I have to help her with that. Yeah. So with your experience of reframing, you get to help her with that in her own experience. Well, yeah, and I mean, what I mean, I can't, and you can't just go up and say, you know, hey, suck it up, Buttercup. You know, your sister <laughs> and your brother have, you know. Well, you could, you know, but on, it might not, more, might well, not be could. very helpful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you probably will not be as successful as you think you should be. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that is true. It, it is a, and I, I try to, and I can't say, well, if it was really bad, you'd be, you know, you'd be in a lot more pain. Well, that's real relative. You know, right. what's a lot more pain when you've never been injured? Right. Yep. You know? So, I mean, you know, I, I, I make the joke all the time, you know, they'll they'll call me, and sometimes I'll be teaching or whatever, and I get a phone call, and they I, and I'll step out of the room, and I'll interrupt my class at times, and I'll say, you know, oh, you know, hey, what do you need? And, oh, I just want to know what time you're going to be home tonight. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and I have, to re- I have to reframe it for them just a little bit. And yeah. I say this. I say, look, unless you're bleeding, dead, or dying, you know, don't give me a call. But I love you. You know, I, I, I'm glad that you want me home. <laughs> right. I even have to reframe it in my own mind. Right. It's not that my kids don't want me there. They actually want to be with me. There you so go. Instead of, saying, instead of saying, oh, my God, I can't believe you interrupted me. And how dare you? You know I'm teaching. I do this every day. That's, uh, that's an awesome example. That's you know, I, I say, you know what? I'm just so glad that you called me. And it takes practice to do that, John. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this know? does not happen in an instant. <laughs> right. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you've been able to share. Thanks yeah. for joining well, us anytime. today. It's, it's, I, know it's, I know what you've taught has helped me a lot. It's helped other people. I try to apply what you've... In fact, we just got through talking about it today in class um, relative to firefighters and how they see things and what they see may or may not be exactly what they're experiencing. Right. That's great. Well, awesome. I'm going to, I'll let you go. I know you've got some, some places to go to and thanks for calling Absolutely. in. It was great having you on the show today. All right, John, be good. God bless. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. So what was alluded to a little bit there is that sometimes when we tell a story about why somebody has done something, uh, it reinforces a negative thought pattern. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. What if the ladder you're climbing is leaning against the wrong wall? Is that bucket list getting bigger and bigger? Where are your passions hiding? You are here to create an authentically empowered life. There's nothing more fulfilling than living your life's purpose every day. Find your calling and live a legacy that lasts for generations. Start your journey today by scheduling your discovery session with John and Rena, hosts of the Impact Hour, every Wednesday on Money 105.5. Go to theimpacthour.com to schedule your complimentary session today. If you want a life rich in meaning, if you want to make a difference, join John and Rena for the Impact Hour every Wednesday afternoon at 2 on Money 105.5. Learn how to increase your life's impact. Unlock your potential and live with passion. It's all new. The Impact Hour with your hosts, John and Rena. Share your stories and become part of the journey. Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Money 105.5. Find John and Rena on Facebook at The Impact Hour. Live with passion, make a difference, and come alive. This is the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. Welcome back. We are talking about the art of reframing, about telling yourself better stories about what's going on in the world. So one of the things that can happen when we tell ourselves a negative story about why somebody did something or what happened is it reinforces a negative thought pattern. 
And so they'll do something else and we'll tell the same story again. Oh, that person doesn't care. And they'll do something else and we'll tell another story. Oh, that person doesn't care. And then it piles up and it piles up. And pretty soon we're just feeling really angry, depressed, sad, however it's affecting us. And it starts becoming a spiral. It gets into this where we just get into this negative spiral thought pattern of they just don't care. And here's another example of when they don't care. And here's another example of why they don't care. And we just go down into the spiral. And that's a really deep, dark place to be in mentally, emotionally. And it's not helpful, especially when so often the spiral is started by something that we made up in the first place. And it's not really how they feel about us. So this includes the stories that we tell about other people, and it also includes the stories that we tell about ourselves, and this is what we call about our self-talk. And so we can make up all kinds of meanings about ourselves as well. So we can make up stories about, oh, I'm always late, or I'm just a screw-up, or I'm ugly, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy, I'm not smart enough, I'm not likable. And this is our self-talk, and in particular, this is our negative self-talk. And maybe we don't verbalize it to anybody, and on the outside, maybe nobody can tell. But this is our self-talk whenever something goes wrong, whenever somebody says, oh, I have to cancel, I can't make it tonight. Or whenever we try something and it doesn't quite work out the way we want. These are, this is our negative self-talk that reinforces a view of ourself that isn't true. We can also have self-talk about being positive, and I think I'd rather people have always positive self-talk, but that can have some drawbacks as well. So positive uh, self-talk can be I'm always good at, or I'm good looking, or I'm confident I can do this, I'm great, you know, things like that. And that is good, there's good self-talk to have that. If we over-focus on our positive self-talk, sometimes that can create blind spots where maybe we do something and it's not as good as we think and we are having some natural consequences being created by that and we are blind to those because our view of ourself is we're great. And so having a not quite accurate view of ourselves, kind of a false view maybe, or maybe it's a stretched view overly negative, over positive, either way can have negative consequences. But when I talk to folks, most of people can relate to having negative self-talk. And this negative self-talk is so damaging because it holds us back from doing so much, from being so much, because we're believing all these lies about ourselves. And that's certainly not what I would want for you or anyone. So our self-talk is oftentimes distorted. It's too much of one side. It's too much negative. It's too much positive. And the truth is, especially in combating the negative self-talk, is that you are a child of God. And that is the truth. And if that is the truth, then that means that you're not a screw-up. You're not ugly, and you're worthy and you are good enough because you're a child of God. And if you really rest in that, and every time you're in a, in a session of negative self-talk, just stop and remind yourself who you really are, I think that will help. So we can have stories about other people as well. And I don't have a huge amount of time to dive in deeply but a lot of times we tell stories about other people and what it really is more about is it's about justifying ourselves. And so a lot of times we will do what is described in the book called leadership and self-deception. We betray ourselves. We have a sense that we should do something for somebody else. Maybe I feel like I should get flowers for Rena and I don't. And so I betray myself. And then, in order to justify my actions, I begin to see the world in a self-justifying way, to justify my actions. 
in order to justify my actions, I need to make up a story about why she doesn't deserve flowers. And that's why I didn't get them. And so I start inflating her faults. I start ex exaggerating my own virtues. And I inflate anything that justifies my self-betrayal. And that's what the book calls being in the box. And when I'm in the box, my view of the world is distorted. It's not the truth. But in order to be justified, I must hold this distorted view of the world so I can feel good about myself. Over time, if I'm in the box this way with people, it can become a part of me and I carry it with me. And I start to treat other people's from being in the same box as well. And when I'm in this box, I need to justify the way I'm treating people. And so I may even provoke them to act in the very way I complain about so I can be justified in the way that I treat them. This is not something that's just some weirdo behavior, you know, something that I struggle with. This is something that is true of all of us. And the trick is not that we get in the box and preventing that. The trick is to recognize when we are in the box and to get out. And to get out, we need to stop and see the other person as a human being with dreams and hopes and desires just like us. And to start seeing that they aren't the evil person we think they are, that they're just a normal person too. So today that is all about the art of reframing. I hope this helps you this week. And you've been listening to the Impact Hour. Thanks for listening.